Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL Podcast. I'm Connor Orr. Albert Freer is here. And, uh, you know, a Cowboys Super Bowl in Las Vegas has a nice ring to it, Albert. I don't know. How are you feeling about this? I think Jerry runs the – that's one of the stadiums Jerry runs concessions at. So, and uh, I think Vegas is his kind of place, you know, in a lot of different ways. So, um, yeah, I mean, seeing them back in the Super Bowl in Vegas would be exciting. And uh, I don't know, man. Like, I I just – Watching them yesterday, it's just so like, things happen to ha- seem to happen in a hurry with them, where they get on top of you and it's like impossible to get out. You know, like they just suffocate you. And um, you know, like I, I just think like the the ability to hold on to Dan Quinn for the last three years and have a player like Micah Parsons that he's weaponizing, they've just got like this really unique thing defensively, where they don't even need to be great offensively. And I think that's taken a lot of the weight off of Dak Prescott's shoulders. I think he's playing pretty good now. It's it's a good mix there. I think maybe we all underestimated them a little bit. I, I'd say, like, the craziest thing is I'd say through through two weeks, they're clearly the best team in the NFC East. And I don't think anybody would have said that. Um, we would be saying that two weeks ago. Yeah, so we got a lot to get to today. Um, I want to talk about the Falcons. I want to talk about the Chargers. I want to talk about Justin Fields because I promised everybody – I was not going to make any indictment on Fields mm-hmm. until at least week three. So we're not freaking out yet, but we got to talk about Justin Fields. We got to talk about Joe Burrow. Um, that's another guy that I think we're all sort of waiting and holding on to this idea of, okay, is this going to get better? Mm-hmm. Is it going to get worse? But I want to start in Dallas because, okay, there are a lot of 2-0 and teams in the NFL right now, and I think a lot of that is schedule-dependent. Like, you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are a nice story, wrote about them yesterday on Sunday. 
Um, but they are they're very schedule dependent, right? You had a really bad Vikings team to start the season, then you get the Bears, and so voila, here you start two and zero. And the Cowboys, to some degree, are like that, right? They got the Giants in a monsoon, which was the perfect game for them, and then they get the Jets coming off of losing Aaron Rodgers. I I don't know a team that's going to come into Dallas and win a game against a team like that, but it is the manner in which they are winning these games. And you alluded to it, Albert, the last two weeks, there have been plays where Micah Parsons has gotten into the backfield and the speed and the violence with which he's doing it, it, it looks like they're playing a different game. And, you know, we can say that a lot. That's an NFL platitude, but I don't think that's true. Like Micah Parsons is just a level above everybody else in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's so unique too, and that's the thing. Like they showed that graphic um, during the game about like he's playing this many snaps off the ball on the right, this many snaps off the ball on the left, this many spots snaps on the left edge, this many snaps on the right edge, and I don't think people fully understand how difficult it is to pull that off and to be equally good on the line as you are off the line, and how. Those are two completely different positions with completely different responsibilities, with completely different physical demands. And, you know, I remember talking to, to Mike Vrabel about this when he was playing. And, you know, when Teddy Bruschi had his stroke in 2005, Mike was forced to move from outside linebacker to inside linebacker, which is essentially what Micah Parsons is doing almost in a, on a down-in, down-out basis, right? And Vrabel played pretty well at inside linebacker. He was able to, like, stabilize them inside. I remember having a conversation with him where he was like, I freaking hate this. Like he couldn't stand <laughs> playing inside linebacker. Like, and he really, and, he, and, he, and what it was, was it was like the physical toll he was taking, maybe it wasn't worse, but it was completely different than what he was used to playing at the end of the line, you know? And it was such a huge adjustment. And you know, I remember Mike saying, he's like, just because people see linebacker next to it, they think it's the same thing. It is not the same thing. They're to- two totally different positions. And what Micah Parsons is doing is he's essentially playing linebacker and defensive end. And I know because he doesn't have his hand on the ground, people don't think about him as playing defensive end, but he's playing defensive end, you know, most of the game. And then he's also like one of the best linebackers in football. To be that good at two positions simultaneously is mind-blowing. And, you know, I, I can tell you, like, Dan Quinn has – sort of changed his defense, which was well-worn, you know, in a system that's been successful over the years to accommodate Parsons because he is that good. And I just, I don't know, there was one play where he looped around, um, and I tweeted it, but I'm sure you know which play I'm talking about, where he looped, he, he came off the, 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 the offensive left, the defensive right edge, and looped around back to the middle and kind of shot the A-gap. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, Connor, if I was the quarterback and I saw that, I would be so terrified, like, how fast he got on Zach Wilson. Like, it was like you couldn't blink, and he was on top of him, you know? And so that, just to ha- have the threat of that on every down, not knowing where he's going to line up, if, if, like, what does that do to your protection? What does that do to your offensive line? And then you build around that with other really good pros like Demarcus Lawrence and, um, you know, and Trayvon Diggs and, you know, Malik Hooker playing really well now, and it's just – you know, like you see the overall speed of the defense, the way they've built like for Dan Quinn's position specifics, and then to inter- to, to inject this sort of like weapon because I think that's all you can call them, right? You don't typically call defensive players weapons, 
to inject this sort of weapon into it, it's been something to see. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, and we all saw it to some degree last year, but Mm -hmm. I think as he grows within this system, the only issue that I could imagine arising is that you would want to give him a rest at some Mm -hmm. point, almost to the point where, you know, if I'm Dallas, I say to him, okay, if we're, if we got the division locked up by November, uh, you know, maybe Thanksgiving. And again, I'm getting way ahead of myself. But let's say we get the division locked up here by Thanksgiving. Like, I want you to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing out some air quotes here. I want you to get some turf toe and uh, we'll see in the playoffs. Because the, the pace at which he plays is so yeah. frenetic. And he is so active off the ball and I don't care how much sustainable energy you have as a human being like at some point that I mean that's the only thing that that's the only thing that slows this team down uh and offensively I think what we had heard during the preseason was that this was going to be a lot more simple quick reads Kellen Moore likes to throw the ball all over the yard Dak Prescott was always better when he was efficient he was utilizing the play action Mm -hmm. and I mean this team, they're built, man. I mean, we had the Bengals Super Bowl here, but uh, Bengals 49ers Super Bowls, I think the two of us. But uh, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm regretting that a little bit. I don't know. The Niners are pretty damn good, too. I I want them to meet again in the playoffs so bad. Like an old school 90s NFC championship game? Yes. Like the old summer all Madden. You have the, like the cool like box open and everything else. And yeah. We are we are we are technologically advanced enough as a society to have them call that game uh, via like artificial intelligence at this point, <laughs> yeah. right? We could. I do think it. so. Yeah, I think we could definitely like we could ship them in from beyond to to call that game. Have you heard that there's like um, there's like a scientist that gave an interview on some morning show or whatever it was, and he was basically saying start recording tape recording all of your loved ones now and within like three years we'll be able to make them live in perpetuity via um like chat gbt and ai and so it's like scary scary. (laughs) yeah a little bit like when you see like those i don't know what is it like that 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 cambridge robotics company or whatever that has the robot dog (laughs) yeah like it's like i don't want that dog to be that smart like i (laughs) I hate that dog i hate that dog Uh, yeah I mean, like, like, because I don't know, like, like when you're not filming that dog, what is that dog doing? Is that dog learning, learning and making plans? It's reading books. It's listening to the <laughs> yeah. MMQB podcast. It's learning to break down film. Eventually, we will be replaced by the Cambridge dog. There's a robot, Jerry Jones. Have you seen this? Is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was, so that Jerry Jones actually explained that the reason that J- the real Jerry Jones sold the naming rights to his stadium to at and to AT&T was because of Alexander Graham Bell. What? I'm not even kidding. I couldn't make that up, right? <laughs> like he's just a big fan of A. Graham Bell? <laughs> yeah. Just a big fan of um, the work of Alexander Graham Bell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't for the money, folks. It was because Jerry Jones is a long admirer, longtime admirer of Alexander Graham Bell and what he's meant to America. And so he wanted to put his company on the most American of places, Jerry World in Arlington, Texas. That's like, I'm rooting for the U.S. in the World Cup because I'm a big fan of George Washington. You know, yeah. like I, yeah. I, really like, I really like that guy, George Washington. Right up um, on Abraham Lincoln, and, and now, now I'm all in. 
Um, on the flip side, we have the Jets, and I, I did listen to uh, some New York talk radio this morning while I was. I'm sure it was very the, rational doing the daycare drop off, and uh, you know, here's the deal: I don't know. Okay, so there's Zach Wilson mistakes, and we're going to put them in a bucket over here, and I'm mm-hmm. holding up my right hand. And then there's what are you going to do in that situation anyway, no matter who is the quarterback. And I'm right. going to put them up in my left hand here. I think we saw both of those. The play that you're talking about where Zach Wilson is hit before he even picks his eyes up to look downfield is one of those. Yeah. And we don't have an option. The flip side of that is when he throws that pick to Garrett Wilson deep down the left side, you have a safety in the middle and you have two deep routes and seasoned quarterback is going to look that guy off. He's going to make him think he's going in one direction and then throw it in the other. And it was a nice throw. Zach has arm talent, but he's not doing those little granular things that are going to win him the down to down basis. It was a great throw to Garrett Wilson on the touchdown. But other than that, we're not seeing those consistent, um, you know, kind of next level moves from him. Yeah, I actually have a theory on this um, that – and my my mind has changed a little bit in that like last week I made the, um, the argument that the context of Zach Wilson entering the lineup is so much different than the last couple of years because the last couple of years they're trying to have him be their franchise quarterback. They're trying to figure out if he can be their franchise quarterback. That first year they didn't have a great team around him. This year, they built a team that I think doesn't require the quarterback to be off the charts good. So, like, you have, like, potentially a really good run game if you can get the tackle position sorted out with Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. And you have potentially a really great defense. And I made the argument, like, okay, well, the Jets are just going to have to just ask Zach Wilson to put his hands at 10-2 and and keep the car on the road. And... You know, my uh, my buddy Phil Perry, who I work with up here at NBC, made a great point to me. He said, that's never been who Zach Wilson is. Yep. <laughs> and I hadn't thought of it that way as if – and I feel stupid because it's like as if that in itself isn't a skill because it is. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. Like that is a skill. Like that's not just something anybody can do. Um, and so like it does make me wonder watching the game yesterday it sort of bolstered this thought – like the biggest criticism of him coming out at BYU was not that like like well, well how high is the ceiling you know what could lose the cable it was the captain thing but it was also well if you actually watch the tape you can see like all these open guys underneath and he's holding the ball holding the ball and then going way downfield and he can do that because he's got better players than 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 the other team nine times out of ten when he's out there with BYU based on the schedule they played but is that really going to translate to the pros and the pushback you always got is like well you know we think that. Once we get Zach Wilson in, we're going to be able to teach him to be more of a game manager and learn some of those skills. And they didn't come the first two years. So it does make me wonder a little bit here, Connor, like, is what the Jets need right now not what Zach Wilson is? What the Jets need right now is Baker Mayfield, right? (laughs) Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles said the same thing. He he used another car analogy. He said, uh, we don't need Baker to boil the engine. We need him to drive the car. Right. And and he's driving the car. But again, that's a, that's a short-term thing. We'll get to the Vikings in a little bit. But I agree. I mean, if I were the 
Jets, I probably would have, if you go back in time and you get an opportunity to make the same decision all over again, I probably would have done it. I, mm-hmm. Because if you look at Zach Wilson, like the comp to Aaron Rodgers was there. And you're building an outside zone offense. You're, you're, you're bringing it all in. Out of all the quarterbacks in that draft, he probably best profiled to fit that that guy. I think the problem was the amount of time he had made him, like you said, pass off the intermediate options and not really have a total concept of how quickly things move in the pocket. And again, we talked about the two buckets, right? Some of those plays were evident on Sunday against Dallas. Some of those plays, he had no shot. And so it's going to be worth watching him against like a mid-level opponent to gauge growth. Because I do think when he came in for Aaron Rodgers against the Bills, there were some good plays. Uh-huh. And he did it too against Dallas this week where he's just escaping the pocket. He's throwing his shoulder down. Now, does he need to be total hero ball in those situations? No, he needs to protect himself a little bit better. But he's moving the ball. He's picking up first downs. Um, but there's a long way to go here. And, you know, well, one of the, here's the other thing though, Connor, you say a long way to go. How much runway is the locker room going to give him? Right. I mean, they pulled the, pulled the rip cord on him last year and they started wearing right. Mike white t-shirts. Right. You know? Right. And you just sort of wonder like, does, is he in this position where it's almost like, and you talk about getting fresh starts and that becomes so cliche, but I think that's part of it. Right. Is like that. If you have history in a place, whether it's good or bad, you have that history. And whether you like it or not, like eventually there's going to come a point where, where you're either going to change that history or that history is going to be there with you. And I just I look at what happened on Sunday and look, it's Dallas's defense. So who knows? He might wind up looking a lot better against the Patriots. I don't know. But Dallas's defense probably brought back a lot of old memories for guys in that locker room on where things went wrong last year when that team was trending towards being a playoff team, and then the wheels came off completely. Yeah. And now, uh, and, and then you see some of the stuff, on, and I don't know, man. Like, you see some of the stuff that happened last night on social media, and <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't know what to think. You know, I don't know what to think when you see Brees Hall and Sauce Gardner doing those things, because I do think... Wait, what did they do? I missed this. I shut down Twitter at, like, 9 p.m. Okay. So, Brees Hall only had four touches, he tweeted out four footballs and then deleted it. And then <laughs> Sauce Gardner, Sauce Gardner said something. You have to Google this one. I'm, I'm, everything's kind of rattled around in my brain right now. But he did something, and then somebody caught him doing it, and he and then he deleted his Twitter account. Just deleted the whole account. Yeah, or deactivated it, or whatever, whatever you do. Um, damn, y'all really love saying my name on this app, LOL, CD Lamb didn't catch a ball on me today. Oh, Source that's what it was, me. yeah. So somebody posted CD Lamb stats as if, like, the, the numbers were, like, exclusively against Sauce Gardner, and then he sort of absolved himself of responsibility for CD Lamb's day, and then deleted his Twitter account. Boy, I'll tell you what, thank God we did not have any sort of social media after, like, High school football games. (laughs) It would have been so bad. How bad would that be? And let me just ask you this, because this thought thought just popped into my head. 
Like, think about Texas high school football. Think about Ohio high school football, Florida high school football. Real deal, obviously Pennsylvania, the mecca of, uh, of American high school football. Yeah. What if you got to know those kids on a level where, you know, you were familiar with their social media and you just made a cottage industry out of doing shit posts on their tweets after high school football games? Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be like the source material for that is is just it's it's unending. I just yeah. gave someone a trillion dollar idea. I I cannot imagine like what a high school football player in Texas probably has to deal with. Like what that guy, you know, that guy just fires up uh Twitter after a game or X. He just fires up Meta and uh he just decides to start uh trashing like uh you know, his offensive lineman or, you know, some kid yeah. from another school, man, that would be awesome. Although they're all trying to get recruited, right? Right. I do right. think in the NFL, there probably is some degree of freedom where, you know, Sauce Gardner's not going anywhere. He's going to make a hundred million dollars at some point in his life um, yep. if he hasn't already. And so good for him, you know, don't delete it though. Just keep it but, up. But like, I, I just, like, I don't know. Like, I try not to read too much into this stuff. But it's just how quickly it happened. It took like yeah. one game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just it just makes you wonder if everyone in that building is maybe feeling the feeling the weight of everything that they carried for the last six months, like crashing down on them after Rogers got hurt. You know? I, I it's just because I think the expectations were so high. And if there is like a period of of mourning that maybe extended to the game yesterday over what they've lost. And that's probably the wrong word, but I, like it wouldn't surprise me based on how much like so many people had tied up in the season. Yeah. And then you see what happens, you know, when you take him out of the equation and it didn't look great. I, I think the jets need to at least play well against the Patriots this week. I think it's really important that they at least play well. Maybe they don't win the game, but they at least need to play well. Speaking of which, game to land. let's go there next because my, uh, Albert, my AFC champion, potential AFC champion, New England Patriots, are in a little bit of trouble. And You didn't pick them to win the conference. You just picked them to win the division, right? I picked them to win the division. And uh, uh, it's, it's looking tough right now. Um, I also – so here's the thing. I, I, I picked every game. And when you pick every game, you don't have that. By the of, way, is the ultimate thankless job. Just to give Connor his due for that. That is the no, ultimate thankless. Job. No, no, no. The ultimate thankless job is editor Mitch, who has to check and make sure that even if I had two seventy-two and two seventy-two, that I didn't give two teams a win in the same week, and he caught like four of those. And Ooh. so, and and then he does the tiebreakers for the playoffs. Like that is absolute administrative hell, and I Did can't you screw believe up any he tiebreakers. Oh, the tiebreakers! I I I hit him with were miserable this year. Like he had to go to like the third criterium for each one, and <laughs> he likes that stuff, but not enough. No one gets paid enough to do that. Uh, yeah. No one gets paid enough to double check my game by game predictions. But when you're doing it, you're going through. And you're looking at every game as an individual entity and you're not considering the scope of the season. And so I had the Patriots, I think, going seven and one in the division. Mm -hmm. But 
what happened was I had them and the Bills both winning the last game. And then the way that I wanted to have it turn out, I had to have the Patriots win that game or else we would have had to go all the way back to the beginning and start it. And so I had them going undefeated in the division, which was the worst part of it. And it's this not is probably it wasn't, what it's like to be a schedule maker. Yeah. It's yeah. like you, you, you think you've got it and then one thing is wrong and it t- t- the whole Jenga tower falls. Yeah. Um, uh, luckily for us, we had m- magazine deadlines, so we just had to uh, we had to start shepherding that puppy through. But when I went in the radio, the all the Patriots people were like, "We're not just amazed that you had them winning the division. We're amazed that you had them go undefeated in the AFC East." And yeah. so that part of it is already that uh, ship sailed. That ship sailed. That's a little disappointing. Here's what I'll say though. I, I mean, every week they're looking all right, and they're in games. They look and competent. Yeah. They look competent. It's just, you know, they're they're my biggest fear in picking them, right? Was I picked them because they're a high floor team, is that they lack the ceiling, right? They lack that yeah. eventual game breaking so, move that doesn't have anything to do with an awesome field goal block, which by the way was the coolest thing I've seen in the NFL this year. That was unbelievable. It looked like he came out of like it looked like he came from Rhode Island. Yeah. Um, the, you know, I, I think what you're getting at, though, has sort of always been the Patriots program is, you know, and, and I hate to give people a history lesson here, but when Robert Kraft fired Bill Parcells, it was because Parcells wanted to be all in for the time he was there. And what Kraft wanted was to build like a 49er style consistent winner, the 49ers being the model back then. And, you know, like, so he, so. Like what Belichick sort of sold Kraft on when he when he was hired in 2000 was, I can build a team that's going to be competitive year in and year out, and at the very least, you're going to be able to put a good product on the field annually. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's if you look at the way they built the roster with a strong middle class, with a with fiscal responsibility, with all of these different things, the 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 games they play with draft picks and how they manage their assets and, and building up. You know, building up margin for error and, and how they spend and how they how they accumulate draft picks, it's all built to be like nine and eight, ten and seven. You know what I mean? And then for twenty years, they had a quarterback who put them over the top, right? And was able to take a team that maybe was like a nine win team, a ten win team on a regular basis up to a twelve or thirteen win stratosphere. And then they were able to augment that with players who just wanted to play with that quarterback, right? So now you had this model of a team that could be kind of level year in and year out. You had the quarterback who put it over the top, and then that quarterback was able to attract all of these other players, your Randy Mosses, your Darrell Revises, all these other guys. If you do all that and you draft well, then like you're going to have a really good product for 20 years, which they did. And I think that's sort of where we're at with the Patriots now, is it does feel like so much of – what's going on there is they're still operating like Brady's there. And what's left when Brady is taken out of that equation, I think, is a team that's very level, that's very competent, that's very competitive week to week, but maybe isn't good enough when you get in these high leverage situations against the best teams in the league. I hate how, like um, every, like someone said, a new low, the Patriots haven't started 0-2. And it's just like, we're, we're done. Like The, the Patriots yeah. haven't started 0-2 since 2001. Okay. But the Patriots, this is a different this is a different thing now. Yeah, do you it's know who not... came into the lineup in the second game of that 0-2 start? Yeah. 
Like, this is a different I mean, thing. that legitimately, I love that stat because no one mentioned that it legitimately coincides with Tom Brady trotting off the bench in the second game. It's it, it, Yeah, exactly. It's not like they had, like, Cleo Lemon, you know, in the middle of this stretch or Quincy Carter. You know, this was right. one quarterback and then Jimmy Garoppolo for a little bit and then Jacoby Brissett for even a little less than that. And... Yeah, okay. I mean, look, the last four years have done so much to burnish Tom Brady's legacy. <laughs> like, if you look at like, every level of it, like, you know what I mean? What's happened to the Patriots, what happened to the Buccaneers, I, like, the different players he's playing. It's just, it's, I, I would argue, like, the Bucs almost look, I mean, the Bucs look pretty good coming out of Brady, too, right? So, I, I like, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think that the Patriots... I felt like coming into the year they were middle of the AFC team. Where if a couple things broke right, they could make the playoffs. And I, even in even with a couple losses, I haven't moved off that spot. I haven't either. I still feel good about where they're at. I think that they're so Miami's taught Miami sucks to play at the beginning of the season. They yeah. are awful to play at the beginning of the season. If Their you, offense is so much fun to watch. Like second it's, year of Mike McDaniel, it is so much fun to watch. It's so much fun to watch, and it's at full speed right now, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we've talked about this. They do wear down at the end of the season, and when you mm-hmm. want them is in December. And right now, they're just – I mean, Vic Fangio's dialed in. McDaniel's dialed in. Tyreek Hill hasn't been tired of all the kind of the linear sprinting that he has to do. Like, it, it, it's a bad team to face right now, and they're going to boat race a lot of people – over the first six or seven weeks of this season. But, and defensively, I think that's true too. But seeing the way that Mac handled some of the pressure, and again, I'm not trying to bolster my pick of the Patriots winning the AFC East, but I, you know, he looks, he looks like he has answers this year. Whereas last year, it right. was, it was very helpless. Like it was alarmingly helpless. You I, know? Mean, I know, I know we're going to get to this later in the show, but like I came into the season saying, like, if I had a gun to my head, I would probably take Justin Fields second among the 2021 quarterbacks behind Trevor Lawrence. I think Lawrence is far and away still, like, just way, way far and away number one. I would flip that now. I would take Mac Jones over over Justin Fields just because I I see the way that he's operating right now. So, I like, I just think I, – I still think, like, Mac's ceiling is a question – but you're right. Like they've given him an offense that gives him answers. You can see he's playing faster. He's got confidence out there. Um, there are still throws he can't make. There are still there's still something that's going to be left to, to be desired watching him play. And part of the problem is where he plays. The bar is so impossibly high because of the guy who came before him that it's going to be tough for him to chase that standard. But I mean, I don't know. Like watching the first two games, like it just sort of. And I, my my comp for him coming out, like that I heard that I really liked, was was Chad Pennington. Other people Ooh. made the Kirk. Other people like the, made the Kirk Cousins comparison. I kind of like the Kirk comparison. You can see a lot of Kirk in his game. You can, but I I love Chad Pennington. So I'm you okay like that with one? that. Yeah, that was yeah. a good one. I've never heard that one before. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, pre rotator cuff tear, Chad Pennington. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would say they, that's safe to say. If they compare I'm not, him I'm to not compar- post, I'm not, I'm not comparing him to. Uh, Arm dangling off my my office body, Chad Pennington. (laughs) The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. 
The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow The Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go from one quarterback who looks to be developing some answers and is 0-2 to another quarterback who is 0-2 and doesn't seem to be developing a whole lot of answers. Uh, and that's Russell Wilson. Uh, the Washington Commanders, 35-33. Frisky. They're 2-0. Yeah. What's that? Frisky Washington Commanders. The frisky. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a week for Bucks fans, and this is a week for Commanders fans. It gets a lot harder after this. Enjoy it right now. Eric Bieniemy, take your victory lap. Run around. This is a good time to be you. But this was... I have to give them so much credit. I mean, the Broncos came out and so, okay, their scripted drives were really well, went really well. You saw Russell Wilson do what he has almost outright refused to do, which is be a active part of the offense as a runner, as a dual threat quarterback. And when he does that, the offense moves forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was doing that on the opening drive. And then that set up later on, you know, we saw the Russell Wilson moon ball. We saw the deep shot to Mims and the touchdown. And so everybody, I'm sure, at Mile High is like, okay, good, we're back. This is happening now. But what happens is in the, in the second half, he sort of just becomes this new version of himself again. He starts throwing the ball into people's hands. Um, throwing some bad picks, especially on those kind of sideline throws where he's just late and he's getting red. 
uh, and all of a sudden, it looks like last year's Russell Wilson again. And I don't know if there's some bad habits that develop there that he's got to break or if he's not athletic enough to play the way that he did in Seattle as he did now. And that's not mm-hmm. a slight against Russell, but, you know, we've all turned 35 in our lives. We know things change. And, uh, you know, I think that might be just part of the equation to him. But this team got absolutely outgridded by the commanders starting at the end of the second half or at the end of the first half and then continuing on through the rest of that game. And I think that one's going to sting with them for a while. Yeah. You wonder if like, this is the one we're going to look at and say, if Jared Stidham is starting in week eight, this is where it happened, Mm -hmm. you know, where it was Sean Payton realized like there's only so far he can go with Russell Wilson. And like eventually, the amount of answers Sean Payton's going to have for this situation, I think, are going to run out because it's just like there's what Russell Wilson wanted to be, which we saw didn't work last year. There's what he was in Seattle, which worked, but I don't know that he's he's the same athlete he was back then. Um, and I think you're sort of stuck in the middle now, where mm-hmm. like he's just not like if you're going to make it work, you got to play him like he did in Seattle. But it's really much harder to do that now because are you going to get the willing runners consistently and is he as good an athlete as he was back then? And if you script it up, it looks okay. But then once the opponent catches up to what you're doing, are you stuck? And, um, yeah, it, it, like I, I do think like Sean Payton, when he took the, the job there, viewed it as sort of a long build. I know he said the stuff that he did to Jared Bell about making the playoffs and everything else, but – I think he did view this as it's I'm going to have to take some time to clean some stuff out, which I think explains why he ran training camp the way that he did, like kind of like a ground up type of approach. Like he didn't feel like he was walking into a ready made situation um, and that there was a lot of building that had to take place. And so I do think that this is the year where you're going to see some experimentation from him. And it wouldn't surprise me now at Owen two if like you start to see Sean messing with some things and trying some things and, um, and some of them might relate to, hey, I got to figure out whether or not there's any future with Russell Wilson. Um, and the trouble that the Broncos are going to have is that contract is going to make it really, really difficult and make it hurt to get out whenever you want to get out over the next couple of years, unless you wait three or four years to do it. Uh, but if you feel like you need to detach, you might feel like you need to detach. And it, it, the, the, the chance to do it after this year, while it might hurt, might be better than than waiting too long to do that. Right, because there's going to be a lingering sort of frustration with everybody that, like, why does he just get to come in here and make $50 million while the rest of us are kind of, you know, working our tails off and trying to to figure this thing out? And I'm not saying that Russell's not working his tail off. It's just... That's never been the problem, right? Yeah. It's never been the problem, right? It's just we don't know how to do that anymore. And the entire NFL has changed over the course of when Russell was last a really potent player. And, and now we're a completely different defensive league, right? Everybody's kind of following Vic Fangio's lead. And I do think that there's going to, you know, there's a couple of kind of core evolutions off of that. And it prioritizes your front four in a vicious pass rush where it necessarily didn't before, you know, teams were more worried about, different things, even though you always want a great lifeblood pass rusher. Now everybody's got like two 
and everybody right. has got ways to simulate pressure, ways to get into the backfield. And so what Wilson did, you would need to be even more athletic than he was at the height of his career, I yep. think, to operate that way. And so now we're seeing this, but a little bit of a gut punch for the Broncos. Um, I, wonder, I also boy, would say this. I also would say this before we move off this game. I think Sam Howell is better than people realize. You were on it. I was just about to give you credit for this. You were the one. My buddy Tyler Dunn was the only person on Team Buccaneers, and you, or I think, were the charter member of the Sam Howell Hive. So, I, I just thought, like, I mean, like, you know, like you're always going to pop up your starting quarterback. But I just think a lot of the things that happened with Sam Howell over his last year in college and then his first year as, the pro, as a pro – you could draw this like logical straight line where it was like, okay, so he was great as a sophomore and a lot of people thought he was going to be a first round pick. Then he loses like two NFL receivers. One of them is actually on the commanders and Diami Brown. He loses two NFL running backs and Javante Williams and Michael Carter, his offensive line, the tire fire and Mac Brown basically makes the decision. We need to make you a part of the running game to the point where he was running the ball 15 times a game his last yeah. year there. What did you think was going to happen? Right. <laughs> you know, like, and, and a couple of people made this point to me, and I think it's a good one. It's, well, if, they, if they're turning you into, like, you know, Scott Frost circa 19, 1997. Wow. Like, do you think, like, is Tommy Frazier a better one? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Scott Frost, I mean, if you're turning him into that, right, then what do you think you're going to get as a passer? And so, um, you know, I, I think you get that, right? So, but if you want to look at it the other way, you can say he really took one for the team there. And he didn't bitch and moan. He took one for the team there. Then he declares and he goes to Washington. And like the feedback they were getting from defensive players about the way he looked in practice, he's throwing with anticipation. He's throwing receivers open. Like he has real juice on the ball when it's coming at us. Like that's where a lot of the, like the belief in Sam Howell came from was on the practice field. So like I just think that there's a logical way you can look at it where it's like, do I think Sam Howell's going to be Josh Allen? No. Do I think he could be, to borrow your one, Baker Mayfield? I think he could probably be Baker Mayfield. Like, I don't think you have to stretch too much to get there, right? And we're talking about getting a fifth, using a fifth-round pick now to and, and comparing him to a guy who maybe wasn't worthy of going first overall in the final analysis but did go first overall. Man, I'm looking at uh, Scott Frost highlights right now. He, he could, was amazing back in the day. He could sling it too, man. I mean, yep. what's going on over there? We should uh, get me a couple of Scott Frost and we'll put I, together a football team. I believe he was a safety on the final Bill Parcells team in uh, in New York with the Jets. Really? The 99, yeah, the 99 Jets who've been referenced a lot lately, right? Because of the, uh, the Vinny Testaverde Achilles injury being compared to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Scott Frost was a safety on that team. That's so sick. We need more. We need more of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I where where are we at right now with Denver? I think one more loss puts them certainly out of playoff contention, as Sean Payton thought. And you get the Dolphins next week um, at Miami, which is not going to be a fun experience for them. And I, I just don't think athletically they can handle the Dolphins. Defensively, I don't think they can handle the Dolphins. That's going to be a tough change in scenery. You're going to go down there. It's going to be hot as hell in Miami. Try to play, try to play and win there. So at 0-3, you're 
you know, if you're Peyton, do you eventually have to come out here and swallow a can of worms and say, yeah, what I said was dumb? And I guess to some degree he has said that. But, like, you know, I, I do think he's going to have to he, – he gets the boomerang end of this now where mm-hmm. it comes back around and it hits him in the face again. Is Broncos country Caleb country then? Oh. So it's so weird, right? He was the one talking about tanking for Caleb. Yeah. What happens if he actually gets him? Now, he he had come out since and clarified and made some comments about how it's hard to tank in the NFL yeah. and it's not realistic. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, having him and Caleb Williams together might be interesting. That is, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And it would mitigate the cost of detaching from Russell Wilson's contract. If you take that one-year hit, right, and you got your starting quarterback on a rookie contract, then you're actually okay. Here's your seven degrees from Kevin Bacon moment because we're talking about a team getting Caleb Williams that we weren't even thinking about at the beginning of the season, and we're going to a team that might get Caleb Williams in in the Arizona Cardinals. But, man, Jonathan Gannon was up in two of these games. He was up big against the Giants before they stage uh, one of the biggest comebacks, I think, in Mm -hmm. NFL history. That was a um, 20-point swing there in the second half. Huge win, I thought, for... Brian Dable and his guys. We talked about this last week where this Giants team is not supposed to be that good. I mean, they are supposed to be in like year two of a rebuild. It's them and Minnesota are sort of in the same spot as I see it, you know? Exactly. But I thought that this was the perfect example of what they can do. You know, are you going to come back from 20 points down against Green Bay, against Buffalo, against Cincinnati? No. Against Tennessee? No. But you're playing the last, you know, you're playing the worst roster in the league, and you're pretty familiar with them. You know, uh, I I think that this was one of those nice moments where it solidified the decision they made. It shows that these coaches can still ball. It shows that Daniel Jones can hold down the fort for another year or two, which is all they want him to do. Right. Everyone's I mean, talking like, about this contract. Is, like they're going to yeah. get out of it in two years. I mean, that's the thing is like is like it, it was. I, the way I viewed that contract, and I did a lot of digging into how that all happened. The way I viewed that contract is, here's a guy that the franchise, and I think ownership was involved, and I don't know if Joe Shane, and I don't know if those guys would have gone quite as far if they didn't have ownership kind of pushing that along. That said, I do think like organizationally, they viewed that as, here's a guy who's done a lot of things right, who we've kind of screwed with the coaching situation, who has worked his way into having a really good year. And you know what? We could do worse than have him as our quarterback for the next two years. We could do worse than show the locker room we're rewarding a guy here, especially when they knew they were going to be in the Saquon thing and that the Saquon thing could get a little messy where they could point back to Daniel Jones and say, hey, look, like we tried. You know, They paid Andrew Thomas. They paid Dexter Lawrence. They paid Daniel Jones. They're showing the locker room, like these are the types of guys that we pay. And... If Daniel Jones is a bridge to the next guy, like that's not the worst thing in the world. Like if he is your Alex Smith, right? If you're Brian Dable, if he is like what Alex Smith was for Andy Reid in Kansas City, like I think Daniel Jones, if everything's right around him, can probably do that. Like he may not be as good a quite as good a player as Alex Smith, but I think he can give you kind of an approximation of that. So like I'm with you. I just think like it's you know, the one thing like that's always interesting in these situations is like does the organization get all hopped up on 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 one year of success? Like 
the Jets of like 2015 would be the most egregious example of this probably where, you know, the organiza- organizationally they get way too excited over one thing, one year that's sort of a mirage. Um, and I think the Giants and Vikings have done a good job of guarding against that. But yesterday against the, the Cardinals is good, good sign that like the program is still where it needs to be. Exactly. Even against like an inferior opponent. Yeah, and you're coming off a 40 to nothing loss to a divisional opponent. Then you drive cross country, and then you got to stay out in the West Coast for that Thursday night game against the 49ers. Which, right, which like, if good they luck to lost them, by the, the card- <laughs> if they lost the Cardinals, then having to go to San Francisco on Thursday night might not have been good. This is if what- you were them. If you were them, what do you think about trading Saquon now? Yes, I, I think so. Think right, because. You know, he just got hurt. It's almost like that's your warning sign. I think he's going to be okay, but that, I feel like that's almost your warning sign now. You know, I th- I think you have to get what you can, and and Dave Gettleman did not. Dave Gettleman drafted some good players, but you have to get what you can out of the remnants of that group, um, and you you have to be one of the leaders in draft equity over the next three or four years, if because you know Philly will eventually come back to earth. Dallas will eventually come back to earth when they have to pay Micah Parsons. You know, they essentially have to give him part ownership of AT&T to get him to come back and, and play for them. But and maybe have, maybe introduce him to, a, you know, a hologram of Alexander Graham Bell. Yeah. I, I mean, I would demand my own hologram if I were. That's part of the deal for me. Has to be. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to live in perpetuity inside the most gaudy stadium um, it's gaudy sports stadium in America, but you ha- you do have to get what you're going to get. Um, that said, like, you know, I don't want to hear really any complaining from giants fans. If you thought that this team was a playoff team going into this year, then you weren't paying attention last year. And if you're going to sit here and complain about Daniel Jones and, Oh, this isn't working, you know, look at the fact that, you know, we're connecting with Jalen Hyatt. He makes a game-changing play. There's a mid-round pick from this past year's draft. Like Things are working out the way that they're supposed to for you guys, but it's just not on your timetable. Like Last year was a miracle, and then you got the Vikings, the only team luckier than you in the playoffs last year, well, so you were able to surprise them a little bit. All you have to do, Connor, is look at like the build in Buffalo that Brian Dayball and, and Joe Shane were a part of. Yeah, right? like in seventeen, Sean McDermott comes in, shakes things up, but like keeps a lot of like trusted old veterans like Kyle Williams around, right? And they make the playoffs. Yeah, and then they strip it down the next year. They go six and ten. They draft their quarterback, and like it took going through a little bit, right? Like going through some things. I think even the next year in twenty twenty, they were a little bit like scattershot off the start, but. By the end of that year, by the end of year three, now they were really rolling with a full complement of draft picks, with a clean cap, with a ton of young talent, and we see what what it's become. Like so, there's examples out there for you. In fact, one that like connects directly to the Giants, and I, I like I think Saquon's an interesting one because I think Saquon can be like I think you can work with him to find like an amicable com- conclusion. And I don't think you're going to get the return that like the Niners got for McCaffrey or that the Panthers got for McCaffrey. But I think that that sort of maybe is the model where it's like, look, dude, we're going to get you to a good place. And you do it that way. 
and you can have your like kind of like gold watch moment as the Giants. Giants love those gold watch moments, right? And like say like thank you for doing everything you've done for the franchise. Now we're going to put you in a position where you can compete for championships right now. Yeah. Um, and Buffalo know. might be that place, by the way. Ooh, I like. That. I had a take last week, and we can get to the Bills too if you want. But I had a take last week that the Bills should be the team that should be sniffing around Saquon Barkley or Jonathan Taylor. And I think the game against the Raiders validated it. I think so too. I I see Bills as a as a, a two minute drill team here this okay. week, um, and we'll uh, we'll save some of that. So there's two games that I like left that I want to dissect a little bit. And the first one is Tennessee and Los Angeles. We saw Brandon Staley, God love him, getting a little bit feisty with a reporter after the game. And Staley in that moment, right, is probably responding the way that all of us would respond. But the reporter in that moment is also asking the questions that we all would have asked, right? Is this... Is the Jacksonville thing lingering a little bit for you guys? And I understand from a coaching perspective, a lot of that stuff is narrative driven and teams are so different year to year that it really doesn't make a difference. But the follow up question, uh, what is the mood in the locker room? And then and then he said, what do you think the mood in the locker room is? Was was a solid exchange. Everyone's saying that this is I haven't seen it, so I need to check that out. But it's the way that Brand. So when you hear Brandon Staley talk, like he's very matter of fact, yep. and so um, you know it was it was almost parental. And uh, I'm always going to side with the reporter. It's a tough job, uh, and coaching's a tough job too. But reporter, you're putting yourself out there, and you're asking these questions in front of everybody. And I think the reporter's name was Jeff, and uh, Brandon was saying, "What do you think the mood is, Jeff? What do you think the mood is after this?" Like, and uh, you know, really kind of kind of getting terse i mean there's 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 some frustration there it's obvious um they lose a lot of games they're on the opposite end of the 2022 viking spectrum right where every time they get a close game it seems like there's just one thing that happens that allows the team back in and gives them a little bit of an avenue to a victory they're going to have to turn this around there's no excuse at this point. I think the Chargers will turn this around, but I think we learned a lot about the Chargers this week, and I think we learned a lot about the Titans this week too. I mean, I think the failure of the defense is really in in late close situations. The failure of a defense that has spent on the edges to, with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, spent a corner with J.C. Jackson, has you know a premier. Like, again, like maybe the other player in the NFL outside of Micah Parsons that you would refer to as like on defense as a weapon in, in, in Derwin James. Um, they have invested a lot in trying to get the defense right. And it just like consistently down the stretch of games, they can't close teams out. And we saw it last week against the Dolphins. And like, how are you letting Tyree kill loose at the end of that game? You know? Like, how is Tyree Kill the one that's beating you at the end of that game? And yesterday, again, I mean, Tannehill, I, I, you look at the numbers, it's, I mean, Tannehill, I think, had 120 quarterback rating and the char, and, and the Titans rushed for 180 yards. It's like, what are you doing well? You know, and that, that to me is like the question is like, where's their identity going to be defensively? And, you know, I, I think Brandon Staley is a really sharp coach and, you know, still has a bright future. But, like, you get in these situations. And Kellen Moore, too. Like, I, I Kellen Moore damn near 
got David Tepper last February to slam on the brakes and say, I'm going in a different direction. I wanted an experienced head coach, but I'm going to go with Kellen Moore instead. Like he interviewed that well. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people felt like, and it doesn't look like that's going to, this is going to be the way it is right now. But like a lot of people felt like Dallas would really miss him because some of the things he did creatively. So you have all of that in that building. And I, I don't know why, but it just feels like for 15 years, that organization has always had trouble harnessing everything that it has. And this goes sort of beyond Staley, but I mean, it just feels like they're perpetually last year's team. And that Titans team isn't great. Like that Titans team is, they're retooling their offensive line. They're reworking a lot of things up front on that side of the ball. Um, you know, defensively, they're different than they have been. I think it's fair to say with a new general manager and Rand Carthon, they're in a transition year. Now, because Mike Vrabel's the coach, they're going to be competitive week to week, but it's fair to say that they're in a transition year. For So for that team to get you in week two, that's a really tough look. And, um, you know, I, I just think, you know, the, 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 the Chargers have a turn coming up in a few weeks where they'll play the Cowboys and the Chiefs back to back. I think that that turn makes these next two games against the Vikings and Chargers, again, too early to say must win for anybody, but these two games are really, really important, I think, for the future of a lot of people in that building. They have to knock the Vikings out completely next week. There's no, like, there's there's no if and or buts about it. Now, if they go in, if they if they come out of charge of Cowboys, Chiefs, two and four, and then you get Bears, Jets. After that, I would say, okay, you know, I, I think you're probably still keeping pace. You know, I'm not in a midseason coaching change kind of panic mode, but man, that is, uh, you know, well, that's it's sort not- of the problem too. Is like Kellen Moore sitting there on the staff, and exactly, if you're the Spanos family, is there part of you that says like we want to give him an audition if you're one in five? I know you it's know? one. It's it's one of the hardest parts about you know. You go back to Staley making that initial call on Joe Lombardi when he first got the job. And I think there were a lot of OCs who really, really wanted that job, right? And you go well, you back. You know who he wanted to hire, right? Who did he want to hire? Kevin O'Connell. Ah. So. And and McVeigh blocked him. So Sean, like Sean had, like, and I know that there was some back and forth there, but that was. But um, but yeah, like that was O'Connell had only been with the Rams for a year at that point. He and Staley came in together in 2020, and those two are very close. And I mean, ultimately, you can say like, oh, that sucks for the Chargers. But I mean, he probably would have lost Kevin O'Connell pretty quickly too. Is the other side of it. But you know, maybe this would have looked a little bit different in that scenario. Yeah. And with Lombardi, I mean, listen, they threw for 4,700 and then 5,038 yards or whatever it was in two years. It was not an unsuccessful deal. But Kellen Moore is probably looked at as someone who has legitimate head coaching potential, Um, whereas, you know, Lombardi is a fine coach, but I don't think is kind of in that pipeline. And so, yeah, if you're, you know, that is the one difficulty with making the no-brainer coordinator change this offseason was, okay, now I'm really kind of, setting myself up for that. Now, I, I don't know. I thought Staley had enough finesse to survive the end of last season. I think that they're like I think they're gonna get this thing turned around. I really do. But I mean, talk about a team that could things could get ugly in a hurry. This is this is where it's at right now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 
There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The last one that I really care about, Green Bay and Atlanta, um, the Art Smith mustache is just unreal. I think this and is undefeated. one of these. And undefeated. Um, they're, this, is a, this is a team that has arrived, I think, a lot faster than we thought it were. I thought that this would be sloppier, but they look good. And, I mean, Jordan Love had a chance to come back and – I believe tie that game with the field goal at the end of the game, or if not kick a game winner. And he couldn't get off the ground. Like Ryan Nielsen has come in. This defense is fast. It looks good. And it complements the offense to the point where, uh, you know, the Falcons now remind me of like the Titans, like three or four years ago, where just, I, I don't want, I don't want to play them, you know? And right. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that, if you look like go back and look at last year, I think they started three and one. Is that right? They were they were doing this last year with like Cordero Patterson as their tailback, where they were a bear to deal with in the running game. And we've seen what Arthur Smith can, how he can affect a running game. And like I think what you've seen now is a team that's deeper and more talented than last year's team. And like where last year I think they had a lot of the answers they have this year. 
um, and how they wanted to play and their identity and all of that different stuff, they just sort of ran out of players. Like where over the course of six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, you get to the point where now you thin out your roster thins out a little bit because of injuries and everything else. And teams start to get a beat on what you're doing and your roster's just not quite good enough yet. And that was, you know, of course, the year they had all the dead cap money. They come back, they spend this year. They've spent on the defensive front. They've kept their offensive line together. They spent to keep Caleb McGarry. They spent to extend, um, spent to extend Chris Lindstrom. And like on defense, you see they're more rugged up front. I just think like they're that team, and I I don't want to call them like Army or Navy or someone like that, but I think because the style is like a little different, the same way Tennessee's style was a little different in how you have to prepare for them and how you have to. Like the different things that you have to be ready for, they're going to be a problem for teams on a week-to-week basis. This is exactly why I picked them to win that division because I just think it's one of the most well-coached teams in football. It's one of the most well-conceived teams in football. I think you've got people in that building that are moving the right direction. And I'm going to say this. I think it's the team where this offseason, next offseason, whenever it is, you're going to look at it and say, Man, if you just dropped a great quarterback in there, like man, if they found a way to get like a game like that, and I think that was sort of the idea with looking at Deshaun Watson a couple of years ago. Their approach to quarterback has been like, let's tread water until we can find a truly great one. Um, I don't think Desmond Ritter is going to be that guy for them, but he's good enough for them to tread water with for right now. If you drop a great quarterback in there over the next year or two, look out. I think that that I, – I think that they're just from a program standpoint, from a roster standpoint, they're getting closer to being that team that's going to be really, really, really attractive for any veteran quarterback that maybe wants out of his current situation or could be a team that's got its roster to a point where they could throw a bunch of capital at moving up in the draft to go and get one. It took me forever to Google this, um, but this the Bijan and Tyler Algier dynamic reminds me of another historical great running back duo in Atlanta, and I'm wondering if you can guess who it is. So say that again. Sorry. The so the dynamic of Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson reminds me of one of my favorite stylistic compliment running back tandems in the NFL uh also with the Atlanta Falcons. Can you can you think of who I'm talking about? Jamal Two Anderson man- and Jamal Anderson and Warwick Dunn? No. Po- not Jamal Anderson and Warwick Dunn, but if you if you can pull oh. this name, if you can pull this name. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Michigan State like, Big it, 10 guy. Oh, oh, TJ Duckett? Yes. Had 11 Duckett? touchdowns his second year. Do you remember that? That guy was like a bowling ball. Oh, and then yeah, you had TJ him. TJ Duckett. And oh, Warren yeah, TJ Duckett. Yeah. Yes. He, he was, TJ Duckett was the guy who, <laughs> he was one of these players from the past who was like, I remember he was like an all everything linebacker and he was so insistent on staying in offense. And that was sort of how he wound up at Michigan State because I think he was from like Grand Rapids or something. And because they were going to let him play running back. And yeah, he wound up being like kind of like this big monster running back who was built like a linebacker. And yeah, so I, I got my errors mixed up there because Warwick Dunn would have been with the Bucks when Jamal Anderson was with the Falcons, I think, right? 
Yes. Right. Yeah, and so then would, work. So that would have been like Michael Vick, the Michael Vick Falcons, right? Yeah, Dan Reeves. They went like nine, six, and one. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, you know, this uh, similar dynamic. Um, but man, I'm actually looking at TJ Duckett's Wikipedia right now. He had 44 career rushing touchdowns. He played he like really? he played seven years in the NFL. How about that? Not bad. Um, also, seven held, years is a long time for a running back. Too. Seven years is a long time for a six foot, two hundred and sixty pound running back who held from nineteen ninety nine until two thousand sixteen the Class A shot put state record in Michigan. By the way, sixty seven feet. Man, and he just looks like the kind of guy you wouldn't want any part of tackling too. No. No, he was Derek. Well, smaller Derek Henry. I was Derek wrong. Henry. Kalamazoo. Cal- he's from Kalamazoo, not from Grand Rapids. Not far off, but yeah. I don't have anything else smarter to say about the Falcons than you said, but I, I just couldn't stop thinking about my mind started wandering, and uh, and all of a sudden I got TJ Duckett brain. So um, I'm going to start our clock, Albert. Last year, our two minute or last week, our two minute drill was uh, not successful. But um, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, you know. But I, I think we're we're learning to be we'll roll, a little we'll more concise. Yeah, okay. we're gonna roll here, and I'm gonna go through some of the games um, that we didn't yet talk about. So I'm gonna start my clock here. San Francisco and Los Angeles. Here's all I'm gonna say about this one. I think it sh- it showcases the depth of the 49ers personnel and the fact that all things even. This was an even match in terms of brain power, in terms of scheme, in terms of how you set things up. I thought the Rams were really flexible. I thought they were smart, and they're giving themselves a chance to stay in these games and win, but the 49ers are maybe the second most talented team in the NFL, and Christian McCaffrey can just run people over, and Who's at that first? point, it doesn't really matter. Uh... You said second very confidently. How do you not have the answer to first? I mean, I would say it's a toss-up right now between Dallas and I still think Cincinnati's there. Okay, okay. I, I my my takeaway from the game is is what yours was, which is the depth of San Francisco and the amount of ways that they can come at you is just mind blowing, you know. And um, the idea that you've got Ayuk and and Debo and and George Kittle, and then you know you you can use Christian McCaffrey as your closer. Um, you know, and the way Brock Purdy keeps checking boxes and what they have on defense. And Nick Bosa's not even really at full full go quite yet. You know, like there's just a barring injury. It's hard to see this team not at least getting to the NFC title game. I'll say that. They have to. Um, all right. We're already crushing our... Uh... We're already crushing our time limit here. Indianapolis and Houston, I think a great game for Shane Steichen. But C.J. Stroud, 384 yards. The concussion to Anthony Richardson is sort of a not a season killer. Uh, you know, it's going to put him out. It's also going to put that blueprint on him because unlike, you know, I, I remember the Cam Newton rules, right, where they just kind of beat the hell out of him, and we're seeing yep. that sort of take place in Indianapolis. Now it's up to your coach to kind of respond on that. But I did think a nice little breakout game for C.J. Stroud, too. You know, they're, they're not going to be a playoff team, but they want him to be able to have weeks like this. Yeah, and I think, like, the fact that he responded in a spot where I think four of his offensive linemen were down and he got behind early I think is a good sign for where he's going um, and what he can be as a quarterback. So you like what you saw there. A shame we didn't get to see more of Richardson. And I would say this for Shane Steichen. 
they had to change their running game on the fly because when Rod, when Richardson went out, right, and Zach Moss still went for what 120 yards or something. Yeah. So like I just. It's another reason why I think you can feel really good about Anthony Richardson's development, despite what happened yesterday, because the fact that like you have an offensive coach who's capable and mentally flexible enough to do these sorts of things, I think gives, is going to give Richardson a great, great, great chance to succeed in the long term. Chicago and Tampa Bay, I, I'm going to send you my theory. Tampa Bay has been able to succeed so far without Tom Brady because they're betting on people who have nothing else to lose and who can't lose. Todd Bowles can't have a bad season because he's already a second chance head coach and there is no rebuild. There's only foot on gas. Baker Mayfield is never going to get one of these jobs again. Mike Evans needs that massive third contract, which I think he's working his way towards after. I mean, did you see him just barrel roll over a defender the other day? That was phenomenal. And so I think, you know, maybe the Buccaneers are that one team that we overlooked this season because we thought they were old. They thought they were going to fall apart without Brady, and they still have a way to win. There's a very real nobody believed in us thing there where I think those guys feel like they were dismissed by a lot of people when Brady walked out the door. And I think that's given them something to prove. And there's a lot of proud veterans in that locker room with rings, with a lot of skins on the wall that have something to prove now. And I think Baker sort of ignites all of that with his hair across his ass, walk on, like no one believes in me type of attitude. So I I think, you know, in a lot of ways you've had a lot of things kind of come together. Like the perfect quarterback for that team walked into that door. They didn't need to pay much to get him and. Um, you know, now I think they're 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 set up to be competitive week to week. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be a Super Bowl team again, but it wouldn't surprise me if the NFC South comes down to them and the Falcons. Seattle and Detroit, um, the ski mask thing kind of uh, came back to to bite the lines there. This was always going to be this was always going to be a big letdown game for them, um, especially after going on the road, beating the Chiefs in Kansas City, and then you're coming home hosting the Seahawks, who came off that disappointing loss to the Rams last week. Um, I you know I don't have much to say other than both of these teams are still really good, right? And they yeah. played each other, and they played a great football team. You know, they uh, played a great football game. I wouldn't be surprised if they see each other in the playoffs. Um, I think Gino, nice moment for Gino in that he took that really horrible sack at the end of regulation. Um, and, you know, it could have felt like everything was crashing down on him again. And it could be a here we go again moment for him. Um, and I think he lost 17 yards in that play. It set up the field goal that the Lions kicked to force overtime. And he came back and he led the, led the, the, the Seahawks right down the field in overtime. Um, good throw to Tyler Lockett for the touchdown. A couple of good throws, you know, along the way there. One to, to Parkinson, the other one to DK. And um, I think a nice, nice finish to the afternoon for, for, for Gino, where I think they're set up to get themselves rolling a little bit here. Yeah. Um, so the last one that I think merits us having a, a real conversation about Buffalo, Las Vegas. Let's just get that one. Let's just kick that one down the road. I mean, you know, the Bills Can I are good. just say this? Like last week, I felt like the dumbest take of the offseason got debunked in the Rams are tanking for Caleb Williams. Always a stupid, always a stupid idea, always a stupid storyline. Well, this debunked the dumbest storyline of week one, which was that the Bills are dead and that Josh Allen has somehow gotten in a time machine and gone back to 2019. I think we were quick to, um, I think we were quick to point out, like the Dable thing, 
that was all over the broadcast. And yeah. I think that was what surprised me was that, you know, a lot of people latched on to, oh, Dable's gone. He's not that good. I mean, you know, we there are bad games from a week-to-week perspective. He showed that he was still excellent. The Raiders have a lot of work to do. I mean, this, uh, you know, I, I, I think big changes could be coming there if they're not able to, you know, uh, start pulling out some of these ones. But th- they were just in a different class. And the Bills said to the AFC East, what's up, everybody? Yep. And I think it was uh, another check mark for them that that game started about as poorly as it possibly could have for them, mm-hmm. where it was five plays, 75 yards, touchdown for the Raiders, then a three and out by the Bills offense. And it would have been really easy on a short week with everything that happened on Monday night for that to get in their heads. And instead, the Bills just jammed on the gas and, and put the Raiders out of their misery really, really quickly. Our final one, Cincinnati and Baltimore. We're at like six minutes, by the way. We're like we're like a two we're, no good. Yeah. we're like a twenty twenty two Broncos field goal unit. Like mm-hmm. we are just we're late. We're not here. Um all I'll say is this. I, I wrote about whether or not I want to freak out about Joe Burrow. I watched the way that he's throwing the ball right now. I watched last year. It's different. He doesn't have that same kind of torque on it. He's not able to put that oomph into it. And I do think that changes a lot of stuff and it puts a lot more pressure on this defense, makes them need to score, you know, hold some elite talents to not a lot and basically play small ball for a little bit while Joe Burrow gets healthy. I don't know how healthy you can get an injury like that over the course of the season. And that's the only reason I'm worried because he is Peyton Manning level where if he is hurt, the entire thing gets ripped yep. apart. Yeah, and I think like the you see the, what we're in for now is a month of sideline shots of Joe Burrow sitting on the bench. With that Theragun. Well, there was a Theragun, but like last week, I don't know if you saw this, but last week in the opener at Cleveland, they had, there were shots of him like kind of doing this weird thing with his knee where he had his like fingers over the top of his knee of his kneecap. Like he was like working something. And they legitimately did like 90 minute, 90 seconds of analysis on what that is. Um, so I think because of this slow start, we are all going to be privileged to get lots of Joe Burrow sideline shots with um, a, a, a very good view of whatever he's doing to the leg that he injured back in uh, late July. Was it late July, right? Send that Theragun over here, by the way, Joe Burrow. Cause I'm- I could use a Theragun in a lot of different spots. I know. I'm just I'm 35, man, and it sucks. And uh, I can't imagine being any age and having like a lingering calf injury. But I'm not I'm not smashing the panic button yet. And I know every Bengals fan out there, including me, new Bengals fan Connor Orr, is going to say, "Hey, they, we, we went 0 2 last year, and then we ended up winning a bunch of games." And so relax. I think it's a little bit different because the quarterback is a little bit different right now. And so I think there's no shame in, in worrying a little bit because this is something that's out of their control. It's still a very good team. It's just, Hey, the guy got banged up a little bit, you know? And Hey, I think we all, we all can get a little excited on what we've started to see from Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. Like I think they're doing some things in the passing game that are a little bit different and they've got a lot of exciting weapons and, my concern coming out of week one with Baltimore was the running game doesn't quite look the same. And losing Greg Roman, is there going to be like a consequence to that? And they came back this week and rushed for like 170 yards. And like we're able to finish the game, which, you know, you always hear coaches say that. Like a, met, 
like the ultimate measure of your toughness as a football team is if you can run the ball when the other team knows you're going to run it, right? Well, the way they closed that game out, which has nothing to do with Joe Burrow, right? The way they closed that game out, they lined up and they ran it at the Cincinnati defense, six straight plays, two first downs, and then they're in kneel downs. And I think it was sort of like this, this statement from the Ravens, like, don't forget about us. Like, we're still who we have been. And um, the idea that I think they're going to add, that the running game could be the same as it's been the last few years with Greg Roman calling it, with more in the passing game, should get the attention of a lot of people in the AFC. Albert, what is your Monday night football plan? Are you are you making a big I have dinner? two screens. I have two screens. Huh? Ooh. Oh, well, you mean like food-wise? Yeah. So we have like, we're... Uh, we're a hella fresh family. Um, so we have one ah. hella and this is always like the end of the week. It was actually like this podcast where I did reads for HelloFresh and they got me, they they hooked me in. If they want to advertise with us again, that's cool. Um, but they hooked us in because they sent us a few boxes and we're like, wow, this is really good. And that was shoot, seven years ago. And we're still every week, three boxes a week. And uh, so Monday is like the night where the where the Previous week's boxes have run out, you know? And so, like, if you want to get that last one, that last meal kit cooked, you got to do it this week. I think we have quesadillas. How about you? I've been uh, – we don't have a stove right now. We only have a microwave. Oh, right. And so, does, that mean, like, does that mean just constant uh, takeout? Uh, you know what it's been? It's been the Whole Foods hot bar. Okay. Um, and so, like, you try to get two meals out of Is there a Whole Foods close to you? Yeah, and so you try to get two meals out of that, and uh, like you can basically get like five pounds of turkey, um, like cubed turkey for for like fourteen dollars, and so like the kind that goes on a salad, you mean? Yeah, and yeah. so then that way you can kind of make it work. So I think I'm going to do that. No really mind blowing matchups here. I mean, I'm kind of waiting to see what the Browns do, but we'll break that down next week. Be aware too, guys, uh, and let us know what you think, uh, Gilberto and Matt doing a great job in that Thursday spot. Please leave them a rating and review. Let us know what you think there. Albert, thanks always for coming around, and we'll see everybody next Sunday. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. 
Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.